You're listening to Sibling Talk, commentary from a progressive point of view. Now here are your hosts, John Paulette and Mary Jo Tumer. Hello, I'm John Paulette. And I'm Mary Jo Tumer. Mary, I, I don't know if you recognized what happened last night. That was a real president giving an actual talk that had meaning, substance, uh, truth, and empathy. That, that's what that was. And I don't know if you recognize it. It's been a long time. <laughs> you know, in some ways, um, it reminded me a little bit of how Clinton was, I feel your pain, or Reagan was about optimism and, you know, nobody can defeat the American spirit kind of all wrapped up to meet the moment. And I know, and I heard a couple people say they thought it was a little corny, but you know, Joe Biden is a little corny. Absolutely. He's like grandfatherly in that way. And this is not the first time he's spoken about COVID, but I think it, it was an anniversary that deserved recognition. The thing that was interesting to me, John, is he did mention the relief bill, but really in passing. So I was expecting a little bit more of a sell on the $1.9 trillion bill that he had just signed, but he really didn't do that. No, he, he didn't. I think he had uh, really three goals, I guess, sticking in my mind, and they go to the point you were raising. For Joe Biden expressing empathy with what the country has gone through is not just uh, like a political ploy. I, he, he actually means it. He really does mean it. Uh, I mean, I don't want to totally undervalue Bill Clinton. He was the master of, of compassion. But there were moments that you kind of thought, okay, there's a purpose for that. I just don't think that's true of Joe Biden. So I think that sense of empathy was uh, important. Uh, the second thing, and it was kind of a stunning thing to me, he made a set of concrete promises. And he's done this before. And what strikes me is he gives very measurable goals. It was the 100 million doses by 100 days. You know, the one now, which is important to a lot of people, is that everybody, your kids, a lot of people's kids, will be eligible by May 1st. I, that's news. That's big, big news. And there's some other things going through that. And I just add uh, uh, quickly on the, the third thing is maybe what people find a little bit corny. He wanted to express a sense of hope and belief in, in, in America, in the United States. And in our kind of postmodern cynical world, and certainly after the cynicism of the last four years, we're not real used to that. You know, we hear yeah. Franklin Delano Roosevelt say, we hear John Kennedy say, we didn't think that that was corny. But, you know, we've kind of gotten away from from that. But Joe Biden hasn't. Remember, Joe Biden was born essentially at the time of Pearl Harbor. He's born within a couple of months of Pearl Harbor. He still comes from a generation that is willing to say, this is a great country and we can achieve anything. And maybe that's what puts people off. 
What do you think? Well, also, I think when promises are made about defeating COVID, people are a little hesitant to believe it. And not just because people didn't believe Trump, but there have been multiple times where he thought, okay, well, if summer, if we get through fall, if we get to Easter, and that virus just has a tricky way of, you know, they say God, men plan and God laughs. So men plan and the virus laughs. So I think there's a little bit of that. The Certainly um, the ubiquity of vaccine now is helping us say, oh, wow, we're going to get ahead of this. But you've got to get people vaccinated before all those variants start going crazy. So I do think people are like, okay, 4th of July, maybe. Yeah, we'll see about that. So th- I don't think that has anything to do with Biden and, and his well-meaning promises. But just we've been fooled. You know, I'm not going to get fooled again, right? So that's part of it. But I thought that overall, um, he was backing up those promises with very concrete steps that the government has taken. The the Merck J&J uh, collaboration to get more vaccine vaccinations out. And the, when he said that about the everybody being eligible by May 1st. I think most people do believe that because they're starting to see a certain momentum with the availability. You know, say, okay, well, everyone I know now who's in the age group who wants to get vaccinated is starting to get signed up. So I I do think we're, you know, it's like a cautious optimism maybe is the way to say that. And he's funny though, isn't he, when he goes, uh, no hyperbole, or I'm telling you the truth here. Uh, I'll always tell you the truth. So, yeah, we hope this can happen, but things can change. So it is such a stark contrast. I think one of the descriptors I, I uh, heard was, or descriptions I heard was, it was about you, you the people, this is what I need you to do. This is what we need to do together, as opposed to this is what I'm doing. Well, and I that thought was that, what we had last yeah, year. Yeah, I thought there was a strong quality of that. I mean, I've mentioned before, a lot of us harken back uh, to John Kennedy's statements. But it's one of the most famous statements in American speech making. Ask not what this country can do for you, uh, but what you can do for this country. And in a way, Biden was there, except I think what Biden was saying, I have just told you what we, the government, have done and are doing. Now I have to turn to you. And I'm talking to you, Greg Abbott in Texas. I'm talking to people all throughout this country. You need to do something. You need to get vaccinated when it's available. You need to put your mask on. You need to hold back. And the funny part was he did give an aspirational goal, but the aspirational goal is you can probably have your uncle and aunt, uh, like Louie and Heather, they can come over on 4th of July. Yeah, right. <laughs> but don't go out to any big fireworks. I mean, that was the most modest aspirational goal, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all get together and cook some weenies. What do you think? <laughs> yeah! But I thought it was funny because he said, one of the things he said was, you know, this what we're doing demonstrates 
what government can do. And we need to get back to that place where we believe that we are the government, we the people are the government, and this is what we can do as a collective. So maybe that's why he didn't need a lot to spend a lot of time talking about the the bill that he had just signed, because that's what over time they will roll out. I think one of the things that's been interesting to me is that the Republican criticism about the bill doesn't seem to be landing. And one of the reasons, at least from my viewing of it, is because the Democrats are not apologizing for it. In other words, when the, Dem- when the Republicans go, it's just a Democratic wish list, and they're like, yeah, okay. So what on the, in this huge bill of all these things we've put in that we have wished for is not appropriate for the moment? Tell us. Yeah. Tell us what it is that we think should happen you think shouldn't happen. Yeah, I imagine. I heard a senator uh, the other day say, you want to know what socialism is? You look at that bill. That's socialism. And I could imagine somebody saying, gee, I didn't think I liked socialism, but I guess I do. <laughs> that- well, exactly. I mean, some of the things that, and I, and I do think, you know, the Republican opposition is kind of struggling with is there's these huge industry payments to restaurants. Are we disagreeing that the restaurant industry should be saved? I don't think anybody is disagreeing with that. Everybody, one, wants to go to a restaurant, and second, restaurants employ a lot of people. They're a big part of the social um, and civic life of communities why wouldn't we use our collective funds to save them? The other would be childcare. I mean, nothing has uh, undermined people's ability to work more than what's happened to, to childcare centers. So yeah, if you need to throw some money on them to make sure they're, they stay open so that I can go back to work and have a safe place to drop my kids, I'm all in for that. Or the other was um, arts and cultural. This has kind of like been a, a bugaboo for the... Um, the right as well. But most people would say, you, I, our local community needs theater. We need the art museum. And these are parts, again, of our civic life and what makes a quality life in not just urban areas, but in many small communities as well. You know, the Broadway show comes into, you know, a, a medium-sized city, and, and that's like the biggest thing happening. So I don't think that these things that the Republicans are calling Democratic wish list, it's just not resonating with people. No, and they're conflict or they're contradicting it themselves. And I, I mean, you mentioned before the Republican messages don't seem to land. And, you know, the way you know things aren't landing is they change them every two days. And Mitch McConnell's new plea is, well, actually... The Democrats should not get any credit for this because we did it all before and the economy was growing and it would have grown one one way or the other. Yeah, whatever. And, you know, the funny thing on this is the Republicans are missing a real understanding of this bill and why it's such a change, because they are seeing these relief bills in terms of growth of the economy. That's just what Mitch McConnell was saying. The economy would have grown. That's not what this bill is. This bill 
is an attempt to help poor people, something we haven't done in this country really since the 1960s. That's not growing the economy. That is helping children who are in poverty. This is an attempt to help. This bill is an attempt to help somebody who is not going to be able to pay their rent next month without this. Is that going to put any money back into the economy? Yeah, I, I guess it is. That's okay. But that's not what the bill's about. The bill is about helping people. When we talk about transportation and infrastructure things, the people who ride on the subway and the L trains here in Chicago mostly are people who do not have a Lexus sitting at, uh, at home. So this switch to addressing the poor is a big one. And it's one, you know, we talk about, well, why are the Republicans opposing this? This hits at their core. In the 1930s, the Republicans voted against Social Security. And you go through Newt Gingrich, Paul Ryan. That was his name, right? Ran for vice president, Paul Ryan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, one after another, George Bush, they have tried to get rid of Social Security. Ronald Reagan said about Medicare that someday our grandchildren are going to look at us because we allow Medicare to become part of uh, the United States, and they're going to ask, what was it like to be free? That somehow Medicare took away our freedom. That's Republicanism, <laughs> is that fear that somebody is getting something and they didn't work for it. That the poor, who are morally derelict, are some way going to be supported. And I think they just can't stand it. So do you think there's starting to be a switch in... Um, how we think about what we owe to, pe to people who are in different circumstances than ourselves. And the reason I ask that question is I had a conversation yesterday with a client who works in the poverty space. And um, we were talking about, you know, how tricky it is to give aid to folks when your goal is to re to kind of... Um, pull people out of poverty. And I said to her, do you ever think that it's different than that? Meaning with, in the richest country in the world, we have to make sure there are the basics that every human being who lives in this country has food, has a decent place to live, has the right to an education. And they, there's no expectation with that. That's just the floor. Now, if some people decide to change their lives and get out of poverty and whatever, or if some people say, I'm very happy with this life, it's fine for me. It's kind of like the nomad land thing. I don't know if anybody saw that movie. But um, that we need to change our attitude, which is if I'm going to give you 50 bucks, you better make 100 out of it. Instead of saying a, a very complex society has many different kind of people in very different um uh, modes of life, what we agree as a society is that no one will live below a certain level and that we can't afford to do that. Maybe that's a change. That's not socialism, John. That's just an acknowledgement of our obligation to everyone who lives in this and space. It's an acknowledgement of what human rights are. I, as we wind up, I, you know, I volunteer a couple of days 
a week in a food pantry. A lady working there with me. We're like putting onions and stuff in bags there. Nice ladies. I don't think she meant this badly. She's chatting and she said, you know what's so different? We're not seeing just the regular people uh, here in the food bank. We more and more because of COVID are seeing normal people. <laughs> I started to laugh. Rising up, me too. And I said, oh, yeah, the ones who are not morally derelict and made themselves poor be, uh, because of that. But I didn't say anything. I just put another onion in the bag. Yeah, and for that, um, on that, we will end for the week and um, see what happens this weekend. Probably nothing. That's what happens now in this world. Nothing it's happens. Joe Biden. We don't get a Friday night dump of <laughs> some awful crazy tax. Right? I don't know. I'm going to go take a nap. Uh, right. <laughs> Bye. Sibling Talk is a JMP production. Theme song by David Paulette.